Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Chris on who is a carpenter. Hi Chris. How's it going? All good. Um, So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you actually do Chris? Well I mean uh, I'm a carpet licensed carpenter, red seal carpenter is what we call it here. Um, Now as a carpenter it's kind of a broad spectrum of, of jobs and ranges of things you can do. Um, opposed to like electrician or HVAC um, where they're specifically just doing one aspect of the trays. But in carpentry, um, you, you, you touch in different subjects like form work, uh, drywall, framing, uh, trim work, um, concrete work. There's a whole bunch of stuff that carpenters uh, do. So I basically touch on every aspect of the trades, basically from start to finish uh, in the industry. And so what made you choose carpentry? Well, I mean, when I was growing up, I always had the, the intuition to figure things out, how things work, how things are built, how things are in general uh, assembled or, or, and everything. So that kinda, that's kind of always been with me since a, since a kid. But then uh, I really got into the trades when I was about 18. Um, I joined a, a, a commercial contracting company. And I worked for them and uh, did my apprenticeships through them. And I've uh, been doing that now since 18. So it's been a while. Wow. And what was some of the training you had to go through? Did you go to college or was it just uh, how did the apprenticeship work? Yeah. So we have the apprenticeship program here. Um, so you, you sign up with a company. They'll sign you up as an apprentice. They'll take you on. They'll be the ones to, to help train you. They'll send you with a the, with the licensed journeyman. And then that'll be your mentor. So how it works out here for carpentry is you need a total of 7,500 carpentry hours. So that's anything you've done from a shop class in, in high school. That's um, any work that you can get signed off by a teacher or a, a licensed carpenter. Um, now, once you join with the company, they sign you on as apprenticeship. Um, now, and there's a schooling portion of it where it's three eight week classes or three eight-week courses. Um, so you, you work in the field, you do your uh, work, and then the school, the college I went to was called Algonquin College in mm-hmm. Ottawa, and they'll call you saying, hey, there's an opening available, these are the dates, uh, and then you, you, you accept or decline, and I just accepted. So you go and you do your first uh, eight-week program, and then once that eight-week program is wrapped up, which is basically the beginners of the trades, then you go back to work. And then you work probably about another year or just under a year. Then they'll call you again. Hey, there's another session opening up. Uh, we're looking for uh, apprentices want to join the class. So you sign up. So you do that three times basically. And then uh, you also need 7,500 total hours before you can actually challenge your exam. And once you have all the hours in your apprenticeship classes done, then you can go to the, uh, the board and the challenge your exam. I think that's very similar as the way it's done over here, actually. And do you think doing the apprenticeship was the right route for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I honestly think that the apprenticeship program is how people should get into the trades if they want to. I know some people that take a full semester course, um, like building envelope or construction, but they don't mm-hmm. really necessarily teach you on-site tasks and problems that, that don't arise in the textbook. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So you, you, need to, you need to physically be on a job site to understand how everything works and comes together to be able to 
have a better knowledge. I mean, yeah. the schooling part of it, if you do the whole semester, it, it, it's good. It gives you a, a, just a general sense of tools, uh, application of knowledge and stuff like that. But once you're on site, um, a lot of the stuff you learn in textbooks can be just thrown at the window and you, you got to work on the fly a lot of the time. And once you've um, you're graduated and you're, you are a uh, licensed carpenter, how does the industry work for you? I assume you're not taking on and have a salary, but you're a subcontractor. Um, in, in my situation, it's a little different than others. Um, so when I first started, I worked for the commercial contractor. And then uh, I bought my first house when I was 21. Wow. So I would... I, I renovated that one over a couple of years to sell it, to flip the houses. Um, so I was doing, let's say six till four o'clock um, during the day, during my regular work hours. Um, and then when I got home, I'd work from when I got home till 10 o'clock at night, renovating the house. And then, then on top of that, I would do side jobs as well um, to, to get cash to flip the houses. Um, so it was always a constant uh, work for me that way. And what would you say is an average day for you uh, being a, a contractor? Scheduling is a big thing. Like you really have to get your schedules and everything in line. As we start the day, you get up, go to site. Um, you, you plan out your day, you kind of get a rough, uh, rough idea in your head and how it's going to play out. And then uh, um, for smaller jobs, like I would just get materials on the, during that day um, or have them delivered. So I'd plan that out. I would deliver it. And then when it comes to site, I would get started on building things, communicate with the clients. It, it, it's kind of... Every day is different. That's, that's the one thing I like about this industry is uh, every single day is completely different. Um, and even if I'm on a big job site, um, I would be on the site for three to six months. Uh, even if the job site was getting really dull, I would just stick it out for that time because then it would just switch again to a, a whole new different job site. So it, it's constantly changing. To actually be a carpenter, you obviously have to have a lot of tools. What's what's sort of the process for you to be able to acquire those? Do you actually have to have those tools yourself or are you supplied them? And obviously they can cost quite a bit of money up front at the beginning. Well, at first what I did is I I started off basics. I got uh, like some screwdrivers, a basic drill. And through my apprenticeship, every paycheck, I put away about 50 bucks every paycheck. And when I get to a certain amount, I would uh, go out and buy a, a new tool that I would need to complete the job. And it, it all depends on what you're doing exactly. So let's, let's say if you're a drywall, a drywaller, um, and you're a licensed carpenter as well, you, you, your drywalling tools would be like your drills, your routers, um, your tin snips, uh, just drywall stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if for me, I, I, I do a lot of everything. So I need almost a tool for every aspect of the trade. Like what my workshop is right now, my, my father-in-law comes over sometimes and he says, oh, I'm going into the, uh, the tool rental. <laughs> he, likes to, he likes to borrow some tools. So. <laughs> um, so when you're actually doing this and you're on site and obviously you're working with loads of other trades, um, how did you learn to sort of work with the other trades? And is that difficult at times? I left the commercial industry. Um, and in the commercial industry, I was the site foreman, working uh, supervisor, mm-hmm. and project manager. So I would, I would run the commercial job site. So I'd be the one, I'd be the the, the white hard hat on site. Mm-hmm. So I dealt with all the trades. I organized all the trades. So just doing that alone on site and meeting deadlines, you, you get to you get to know 
you get to know the timelines that the specific trades need to complete their task. And then you, you kind of coordinate it all. So I was always involved with the trades and I always tried to keep the trades moving. Um, and being the foreman on the site what was good for me because um, it allowed me to control the site and have everything run smoothly. Um, so when running a site, I would do all that organized uh, project manage, go all the meetings and also, too, I'd be doing all the rough carpentry, like backing in behind the walls before drywall. I would do the finish work. I'd hang doors. I'd uh, anything carpentry I, w- I would uh, specifically do. Mm. I work with a lot of carpenters, actually. And over the years, I've noticed more and more carpentry products, um, such as doors, would come in pre-assembled. They'd be manufactured in a uh, factory somewhere. Ha- have you noticed that over the years, sort of like the skill level of carpenters have has decreased because they don't have to do as complex things on site in a sense yes Uh, but then again too you need to know the process to be able to install that pre-manufactured assembly part Mm. right because if you don't know the process or don't understand the process then assembling that or installing it could be it could be tricky Mm, so you, you need you need to know the the little the little tricks and stuff that you've accumulated over the years um, from your own experience, right? Because experience is simply the, the name we give our mistakes. A lot of the pre-assembled stuff comes on site. It's, it's, it's meant to speed up the process, right? Yeah. So that's why a lot of stuff is done uh, in factories and it comes to site. Then the carpenter's got to install it, which, which is, I find a lot easier and more productive that way instead of fine-tuning. Yeah. So let's say a doorway so you don't have to like, bevel your edges and all that stuff right your hinges sometimes it comes pre-assembled but then if you, you hang it and say the framer didn't uh, frame the wall 100 percent level or something's crooked you still need to know how to do it from scratch to be able to understand how to fix the issue that that arise okay and what are some of the personality traits that you see in yourself and other carpenters that really help you thrive you can see it's funny when you're on site working with a whole bunch of guys, you can, you can see the energy from a Monday to a Friday. You can see the difference in energy. Like Monday morning, everyone's just, just down, just uh, weekends over They're They're tired or whatever. But then as the week goes like Wednesday, Wednesday is when you, when you iron out issues from Monday to Wednesday and then from Wednesday to Friday, everyone's having a good time. Um, so you, you need good energy. You need uh, good, uh, communication. It, it just, you got, you got to be a people, people person as well to be able mm-hmm. to talk to everybody and, and, and makes people feel like they belong in the, in the industry. Uh, for example, when I was, uh, when I was running job sites, um, every Friday I would, uh, break time, I'd go out, get a whole bunch of coffee and donuts, bring it to site for the guys, just to, just to cheer them up and, and get everyone on the same, the same zone, you know? Mm. And what is some of the biggest uh, positives of the industry for you? It's actually, it's probably uh, made me a better person in general. Uh, before I joined the industry, I was more of a, a kind of an introvert, mm-hmm. but being thrown into the trades and having to deal with the trades and everyone on site, it, it's, it's kind of like uh, developed me as, as a better, better person communicating and everything. Mm. And I guess what are the best opportunities that you've got out what you used to do and what you're doing now? From everything that I've learned over the years, I don't, it's a, it, I just know how it's done. Like mm. I never second guess. Mm-hmm. Like when I first started, I used to, before going to bed, I'd be like, oh, how am I going to do this? I'd play out scenarios in my head. But now, now I'm at a point where 
I don't even think of the, about the job. I just order the materials, get to the site, show up a site, and I just, I just work. I just know exactly how it goes. That's just something you develop over time, right? I mean, uh, there's some people have a harder time grasping the concept of things, and some mm-hmm. people just, just get it. And I think I was just one of those people that just get it. Mm-hmm. 80% of the work carpenters kind of do is behind the scenes, behind the wall, stuff that people don't see. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you need to know exactly when – when you're kind of building a piano, when you're not building a piano. Yeah. Right. So, so when, when doing trim work, um, you you need to, you need to know the tricks to get the good precise measurements and precise cuts. And you need to know how to deal with the issues of the walls being not straight or square. Uh, so yeah, there's, that would would drive me mad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, have the patience for that. I don't think it'd be, be, (laughs) especially if you work in old houses, right? That must be even worse because it's probably not straight to start with. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes in older houses, you just throw away your level and just work with the building (laughs) lines. (laughs) And what would be some of the less favorable aspects of the industry? The, the labor. Sometimes it's labor of doing things. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, It'll take a toll over your body over years. Early mornings is, I've been doing it for so long that early mornings is nothing to me now. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's the, it's the toll on your body that the trades, that uh, that you get from being in the trades. But then again, too, all the tool companies are coming out with newer tools to make life easier. Mm. So it, it's developing, be- it's, it's becoming a better system with the new tools that are in place. Um, so it's helping out with that aspect of it. So we like to talk a little bit about um, salary expectations. So we go away and look at a load of data and just look for the average income. Um, and we found that for a carpenter, it ranged between 30,000 to 35,000 pounds, which is about, I think, 50,000 Canadian dollars. Does that sound right to you and your experiences in the industry? Uh, yeah, I think um, 50 is kind of like a starting area. Mm-hmm. Um, like a full, a full licensed carpenter should be making $42 an hour. Wow, so okay. that'll, I think that's what, like 80K or something like that. So 46K year in the pounds. And what would be something that's not in the job description that you have to deal with every now and then? <laughs> um, cleaning up after other <laughs> trades who don't care. Yeah. yeah. And and I hate to say it, but electricians, I, I'd say are the worst <laughs> for... for for cleanliness there's a there's a brilliant video i love i can't on youtube of a an electrician marking out where a plug socket should go and he he gets a tape measure marks it perfectly and then just takes a hammer and bashes through the wall <laughs> oh, yes i did a, i did a take of that on my instagram as well where i actually booted the hole in the wall i'm <laughs> <laughs> um, actually talking about your your instagram you've built up quite a uh, a following and sort of presence on on insta where did that sort of come about and what's the plan with it all well i mean i've been on instagram for a while i never really understood the whole purpose of taking pictures and posting and and uh getting likes and stuff when my brother-in-law showed it to me originally and then uh then i just decided to start just showcasing some of my work um and then a lot of people uh, especially around me my family friends uh, acquaintances and stuff they, they all refer to my videos and uh just recently i have decided to switch my whole game plan on my instagram to to kind of showcase uh tools how tools work um, and I do want to branch off uh, with uh, IGTV with more how to do certain things, uh, tips and tricks. Um, I just want to, I, w- I want to give people 
a, a visual knowledge of, of tools that are out there that get mm. jobs done easier. I'm going to show the knowledge of the, the tools that are out there that get the job done and um, all the bits. There, there's so much stuff out there that, that people don't realize is out there. Mm. And like, I never, like, I never realized that the amount of stuff that's out there until I started looking at uh, like uh, tool catalogs, let's say. Um, you go through tool catalog, you look at all the tools, you know, oh, this one looks different, right? You look at it and you research what it does. And then you, 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 you have the knowledge of that. There, there's that tool out there. So when you, when you get a job that's coming up and you're like, oh, I remember seeing this tool, then you, you know, you could buy it or you can rent it. Mm. So I, I, I want to give people the knowledge uh, that there's so many tools and different um, attachments and stuff that make, make, that can make their life easier. So I've kind of geared everything towards that in a way. Um, and since I started doing that, my account went, I think in March it was at like 10 K and now it's almost at 60 K. Wow. Well, so it's a great it's idea up. because it must, there must be so much money that goes into buying your tools or renting your tools that getting the right ones and ones that could do the job of maybe two or three different tools must make a huge difference. Oh, big time for sure. Mm. And obviously like since I, your apprenticeship, you've probably, there's been new tools on the market as well. Oh, hands down. There's been a huge development. Like right now you got the big companies there. They're going everything cordless. Yeah. Right? Like uh, quick cuts. You, you see gas quick cuts all the time, but now, now they're all going, all the companies have gone battery on a, on a lot of the tools too. So you, you can run quick cuts inside a house now. Um, so it, there's a huge development in, in that aspect of the cordless, which is, is pretty sweet because when sometimes when you get on a job site and there's no power, then you got, you got to get a generator, you got extension mm, yeah. cords, and then you got people walking on the extension cords. You, you, your, your grounds break on the extension cord, your cord gets cut, right? But with cordless, you, you just be able to, uh, sometimes you put an inverter in your, your work vehicle and you can charge all your batteries in your, your car, your truck, or your van, mm. and you can do the job uh, all cordless. And there's less things to trip on as well. And how does somebody begin to progress within the industry is it just putting the hours in and getting the experience or is it going and working for different people and learning different techniques uh to be honest i think it's a mindset if you go if you if you want to become a a, a tradesman or trades trades lady you can't just start and expect to do all the tasks right you have to you have to know that the first year of any apprenticeship is, is kind of like the worst year because you've just started, you're going to be sweeping, you're going to be cleaning after the tradesmen, right? But what makes a, somebody stand out for me that I've seen on site is somebody who does the cleaning, but they're watching other trades work. They're understanding what they're doing. Instead of staring at a broom the whole time, they're, they're, they're taking their surroundings um, so I find a lot of people right now that are joining the industry, they expect the, the money right away, which doesn't come, it comes over a, a couple of years, but you have to work for that. You can't just come on site with tunnel vision and only think about the task ahead of you. You got to think of the task that everyone's doing. And is there, um, what advice would you give for someone starting as a carpenter, um, regarding actually acquiring tools, would you suggest secondhand tools or is there a particular brand that you think is quite good for? that sort of entry level cheaper, but gets the job done. I started off buying um, secondhand tools because they are cheaper. Um, that way you can develop a collection quicker. And as you start doing more jobs, your jobs will pay those, uh, pay the tools and then you can eventually start upgrading, right? Then you, then you resell your, your secondhand tools and you recoup some of the money you've made. Right. 
And uh, is there any other advice you'd give for someone um, starting out, maybe applying for any apprenticeships or anything like that? Well, just stick it out the first year. And if you show initiative and uh, knowledge and you ask questions about things and how they're done, then you will stand out from the rest and then you will get better opportunities. Always think positively, right? And yep. it's okay to it's okay to make mistakes because that's how you learn and develop. And develop a good tradesman makes mistakes, but a better tradesman knows how to fix his mistakes. Absolutely. And you you also said it earlier. You know, you used to go you know think over things at night. Now you just know you've learned from those mistakes, and yeah. you just know what's coming around the corner. Um, and would you still go into the industry knowing everything you know now? Oh yeah, for sure. I've. I don't know what else I'd be doing if I wasn't doing or making or building. Well, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Some people are really just that way inclined. They've got to be making or doing something. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was to change my career, I would probably do something in, in filmmaking and, and uh, uh, creative side. That's uh, just, my mind works that way. It's just a creative and just always want to be doing something, creating something, videos, all that kind of stuff. So I would have probably been a filmmaker or, or something in that line. Canada is actually a massive hub for that kind of thing. There's, um, there's some YouTubers like uh, Peter McKinnon, Matty Hooper. Um, there's loads of them, actually. Uh, check them out. You might like them. Yeah, Peter McKinnon actually is uh, um, one of my... One of my mentors, I should say, like just, uh, I would love to be able to film the way he films. That is wicked, isn't he? Yeah. But the only problem with that is I have to physically do the work while filming. Yeah. So it's, so it's either the tripod set up and there's no motion in the film, mm. right? As for Peter, Peter is B-roll is all flow and motion while he's doing things. Right. So it's, it's, yeah. it's trickier for me to be able to do that unless I have camera slides and all that kind of stuff. But then again, that's going to add to your tool collection and a lot more money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Chris. It's been a real pleasure to, uh, to chat with you. Yeah, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Uh, where can people find you on social media and anywhere else? Uh, just find uh, me at Modern Milk on Instagram, and uh, that'll leave you to my links to other pages. Um, I, my YouTube page isn't, uh, isn't the best right now. I haven't had time to actually sit down and, and uh, develop it better, but uh, soon enough. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. All right, no problem. Cheers, mate.